0: today. We have been uh, on a journey this last, uh, kind of over the course of this school year. Um, Our sermon series has been called The Way of Jesus. And we've been taking a look at the way in which Jesus went about being the Savior of the world. So not so much the things that he said, but the way that his actions, his behavior, um, tell us about his heart and what was important to him. And we've been comparing you know, his ways compared to our ways, and we 've been noticing that there uh, tends to be a lot of disharmony between those two, and there tends to be uh, quite a considerable gap sometimes between jesus 's way of operating and our way of operating and so that 's become painfully obvious to us all, um, but one of the good things that we 've also realized or the things that at least i 'm grateful for is that in the midst of that knowledge of how far I am from kind of living the way Jesus asks us to is that we have his grace and his patience and his unbelievable love for us despite um, how much we fall short. And that he loved us enough to kind of enter into that gap between us and him and, and be the bridge that, that could connect us um, to him in relationship. And so that's been a byproduct of, of learning some of our, uh, the truth and reality of some of our flaws too. And the past two Sundays here have been pretty heavy if you've been here, we've taken a look at, uh, as we've kind of headed towards the cross with Jesus, um, we've taken a look at two ways of his that were pretty tough. One was the way of submission, and the other was the way of death. So maybe you weren't here for a good reason. Um, but you can listen to those online if you want. But when Jesus put on flesh, and he came to earth to walk as a man, the reality was is that he was also all God at the same time. But in the midst of putting on that flesh and becoming a man, he willingly submitted himself under the leadership of the Father. And so when we get to that um, time at the cross where Jesus is is heading that way and knowing that part of his plan, his mission, is that he has to lay his life down, the human fleshly side of him um, prays and says, God, if there is a different way that you can pull this off, I'm open to it, you know, let me know what that plan might be. But in the end, he prays and he says, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted. And so we looked at that a couple weeks ago, and then last Sunday, we looked at the way of death. And this reality is that Jesus calls all of us as his followers to lay our life down, our ways, our habits, our own self-interests, our desires, so that other people might live. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And there is just no other way to find abundant life than to lay this current life you have now down in exchange for God's better plan for us. And as hard as those messages, I'm sorry, I have something in my eye. And it's not a tear. Um, as hard as those messages have been for us to kind of wrestle with, and I've talked with a lot of people the last couple of weeks and been like, oh man, I mean, you really pointed out some pretty huge flaws in my character here the last couple of weeks. It's, it's so important that we sit in that discomfort of how much we don't want to submit, of how much we don't want to die. Because if we don't, then the resurrection is just really not that exciting, It really doesn't truly mean something. Unless we understand that we are all convicted sinners, rightfully sentenced to death row, but that God in his graciousness came in and pardoned us all, then the resurrection and what it means, the reality of freedom and life, it just isn't going to impact us like it should. Because there is no resurrection without death. Death is an unquestioned prerequisite for resurrection. It has to happen. But I don't know about you, my experience with, with death in this life and being around um, funerals with people is that it can be really disorienting. I mean, there's not a, a funeral that goes by that I'm a part of and I'm sitting down with family and friends of the person that's passed away where, man, there's, it's just confusing. It's it's. That's the best word, it's just disorienting. And a lot of times the, the answers that we might think we have in those moments just kind of fall short of, of really being satisfying. And so it's Easter Sunday and we're all dressed up in bright colors and we're coming and we're singing these songs of victory about what God has done and, and the great goodness of our Father. But it's really important for us on Sunday to make sure that we don't forget Friday and the crucifixion. And how for Jesus' disciples in that moment, I mean, you can't put into words the amount of hopelessness and despair that was present at that time. When Jesus and his friends are looking at the cross, and everything that they'd hoped for and everything they thought that the kingdom of God was going to be and, the, and kind of the place that they were going to get to play in that, the roles they thought they were going to have. And to see all of those hopes dashed away in just a few short hours by the mighty hand of Rome. I mean, it was devastating. And it was just utter despair and confusion. And then that day is followed up with Saturday. Right, where Jesus' cold and lifeless, dead body lay in the tomb. And this chapter was seemingly closed. And the disciples are sitting around wondering, what, what now? What's next? And, and heaven on Saturday just seemed to be silent on the matter. Not much to say. But then Sunday morning came, and the empty tomb. And I'm not here today to try to convince you that the resurrection was an actual historical event. Hollywood just made a movie called Risen. So case closed, right? (laughs) They did all the work for me. But for me... The trying to prove that the resurrection happened, that's like the easiest argument to win ever. (laughs) Because if the Romans really wanted to squelch the rumor that Jesus was alive, all they had to do was go to the heavily guarded tomb, roll the stone away, go get the dead body, go out into the streets of Jerusalem and say, Hey guys, here he is. He hasn't risen. This is him right here. He's dead. See? We did it. And Christianity would have been done because Jesus would have been a fraud and a liar because he said, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to come back to life in three days. And the whole thing would have been over. But they couldn't do that because they couldn't find a body. Something happened on Easter Sunday. And for me, the best proof that something happened was the life of the disciples you know, here is this group of guys that this band of goofballs and misfits that somehow in the midst of whatever happened on Sunday morning are, are transformed. They went from being these guys that so often didn't have a clue, we couldn't figure out what Jesus was talking about a lot of the time. And they said and they asked really dumb questions. And and on the night that he was arrested and the day that he was killed, they scattered. They ran. They were like, man, I don't, I don't want to get caught too. And they were hiding out in the shadows in Jerusalem in the corners while their Savior was being killed. Those guys, that group of men, became this powerful force that took this gospel message, this good news of Jesus, and spread it all over the world. And almost every single one of them laid down their life because of their belief that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And just a couple months after his resurrection, Jesus in his resurrected body, after appearing on several different occasions to over 500 witnesses, the disciples preached boldly about that historical fact. Even though doing so put their life on the line. Peter, one of his disciples, on a couple of different occasions in the book of Acts, was standing up in front of an audience of Jews, if you can put that slide up, and he said this, in Acts 2.32, he said, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. In the next chapter, chapter 3, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. And he said these things knowing that doing so could mean the end of his life making those claims, but he said it anyways because he believed it so strongly. And later on, Paul, who in those early days when Peter was going around spreading this message, he was a guy that was a Jewish leader that was actually trying to kill and murder Christians because he didn't believe in Jesus, but, but Jesus met him and transformed him, and he became the person that took the gospel message to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and he started this church in a town called Corinth in Greece. And in 54 AD, he wrote a letter to them that we know as 1 Corinthians. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In your pew Bibles, it's page uh, 1049. 1 Corinthians 15. Is that the right page number? (laughs) Because it's the exact same page number as my Bible, and that kind of freaked me out for a second. Like, maybe I wrote down this one. Okay, good. Okay, we're going to start in verse 3. Paul writes this He says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also. And Paul would have heard this very concise and um, you know clear gospel message just shortly after his conversion, which would have been about 35 A.D., just a couple of years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So all of that to say, from the very earliest moments that, that people could call themselves Christians and the church began, the, the belief in the resurrected Jesus was central to, to their whole movement. And many of those folks put their life on the line for that belief. So every Easter, as I said, my goal is not to convince you that it happened. My goal every, every Easter is to ask this question. Because we believe that the resurrection did happen and is true, what does it mean for us today? What is this thing that happened, this historical fact that happened 2,000 years ago almost, have to do with my life right now in 2016? That's what we need to wrestle with today. How should we live as followers of this resurrected Jesus? That's the money question, okay? Because when we wake up each morning, the fact that Jesus had the power to conquer death and that he's alive and well right now, moving and advocating in every area of our life, that ought to mean something, It ought to shape and color our perspective on every detail of our life, if that really happened. It ought to, right? It ought to. And I want to take a little bit of a different angle on this Easter message this morning, and I want to talk about something that Jesus said while he was still roaming the earth, while he was still doing ministry and interacting with people, long before his, his crucifixion and his resurrection, He said something that I think is really important for us to look at. I want you to turn your Bibles over to John chapter 11. It's a little bit to the left there. It's page 978. John 11. And we looked at this story about three or four weeks ago. So just as a refresher, Jesus is really close to this one particular family. And the the brother in this family is a guy named Lazarus. And Jesus gets news, a messenger comes and says, hey, Lazarus is sick, he might die. And Jesus gets this news, and even though it's somebody he really cares about, he does this curious thing and he just kind of waits. And he lets a couple days go by before he starts heading to Bethany, the town that Lazarus is from. So we're gonna start in verse 17 Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Martha answered I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this I am the resurrection. That's interesting, isn't it? Not, I will be resurrected, which would have been true, but I am the resurrection. Now, this is the fifth of seven I am statements that are recorded in the Gospel of John. And one of those we've been looking at is is kind of the first verse we looked at when we started this whole series back in August that says this, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? Not I am a way or I am a truth or I am one version of life, but I am the way, I am truth and I am life, It's who I am as a person. So when he says to Martha, I am the resurrection, what he is saying to her is that the resurrection is not an event, but the resurrection is a person. It's who I am, it's what I do. It's my nature to resurrect things. So now I have a question for you guys. Why is that so important for us to grasp? That the resurrection isn't just an event, but it's the very nature of God. It's who he is. The floor is yours. crickets awesome so you guys thought that you were just going to come and let the professional speak to you today right not the case come on you guys have got some thoughts why is that so important for us to grasp the resurrection isn't just an event it's a it's who jesus is it's his nature why do we need to grasp that yes Okay, Okay. so he's saying that um, the resurrection, you know, it's like you said, it's not just an event, but it's something that's happening daily. Thousands of people are being resurrected in in their spiritual life daily, and so my follow-up question to you, Gary, would be, what does that say about the nature of God? Yeah, one is that he has the power to do it. Secondly, is that he's actively engaged in all of our lives, eager to do that in us. Was there another hand over here? Mr. Bally, yes. To me, when he says that, um, everything dies has a new beginning through Jesus. Okay. And we have everlasting life. And it's always a new beginning. Okay, yeah, is everything that dies has a new beginning in Christ. What else? What else? What does it mean when we go and we pray to a God who is the resurrection? Yeah, Sam? I'm not looking for anything in particular, Sam. (laughs) There are no wrong answers. (laughs) I'll give you participation points for trying... Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, good. If we serve a God who says, hey, I want you to lay your life down, it's pretty comforting to know that he promises that he's going to resurrect, that that's his nature, right, to not just leave us in that place, but that he's going to build us back up. All right. Good job. I give everybody here about a C in participation on that one, okay? And so we'll keep keep trying. Maybe I'll throw another one at you. Okay? I think there's some important things to to consider with this story because you see in Martha in this story that she considered death and the time that had elapsed four days as insurmountable obstacles. But to a God who is the resurrection, nothing's impossible. And so death and time for a God who is outside of time and has overcome death, those things are irrelevant to him. Those things that we would consider insurmountable obstacles in this world are irrelevant to God. Let's look at verse 38. Continue on in the story a little bit. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. You notice the the symmetry between this story and Jesus' own resurrection. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe... You will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the the grave clothes and let him go. So an important thing for us to remember in this story is that Jesus allowed this man that he really loved, Lazarus, to be dead for four days before he came and did anything And he said it was so that his full power could be put on display. And I want you to just kind of hang on to that little truth for a moment, okay? There's an old proverb that we've all heard that goes like this. It's always darkest before the dawn. The darkest moments come before the resurrection. Those darkest moments when the reality of death and despair seemed to have their full clutch on our every, you know, perspective and emotion. It was true of Lazarus when you read the account, I mean the people are wailing, they're just heartsick and heartbroken at this young man that died long before his time. It was true of Jesus and the people that wept for him at that moment when it seemed like death had won. And for all of us, at one time or another, it's true of our life as well, that we've all had those, those dark moments, when we're not even sure if there's going to be a dawn, right? And I would venture to guess, in an audience of this size, that there are a lot of you here this morning that feel like, and maybe even not even feel like, maybe just as a reality, there is... Some things in your life that feel dead, that feel like they're in the grave, buried. Maybe for so long that the stench is kind of overwhelming. What is it for you? Maybe it's your self worth, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your faith, your health, your marriage, a friendship, your career. Maybe it's your passion for life or your hope that whatever it is that's going on in your life will ever get better. And you can fill in the blank for your own situation. You want to hand her my water there? She can, she can drink that. There you go. <laughs> um. Maybe you don't have anything that feels that desperate in your life. So what I want to ask you to do this morning, if that's you and you're just kind of like, ah, nothing really comes to mind for me, I bet you know somebody who's in a place like that in your life, who feels like there's some things that are kind of dead. Can you listen for them at least today so that maybe you can be the person that provides them some perspective and hope? I'm sure they'd appreciate that. But if something that feels dead has come to mind for us today, then maybe we've been struggling to kind of believe that Jesus can actually resurrect that situation. Maybe we've forgotten who Jesus says he is. So with that situation in mind or that issue in mind, maybe we need to be reminded that Jesus' very nature, who he is is someone who resurrects and redeems broken and dead things. Like Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, he wants to call dead things back to life in your life. It's what he wants to do, what he will do, because he has to stay true to his nature. Okay? That's who he is. But here's some things that I think we need to consider. That area in your life that might have come to mind, that issue, that relationship, okay? And maybe it feels dead now, or maybe you just know that that's where this is heading. You can kind of see this thing's kind of dying in my life. It may need to die first before Jesus intervenes. Or maybe what needs to die is the idol that you've made it in your life. Or that false illusion that you've had about what that thing was supposed to be or that person. Or maybe what it is you thought it was supposed to provide for you. Maybe those things need to die. I meet a fair amount of married couples for counseling and here's one thing that i can tell you is that most marriages are going to get to the point whether it takes 2 years or 5 years or 20 years or longer where one or both spouse will come to this realization i thought marriage was supposed to be different than this or better than this is probably what they're really implying. And how that reality is handled in that moment is really key. And I'm just using marriage as an illustration. You can insert whatever you want in there. But in terms of marriage in our culture, that is kind of a throwaway culture where, where covenant and, and contract don't really mean a whole lot to us a lot of people in our culture just kind of throw in the towel. And they just kind of think, you know what, this is just too hard. (laughs) It's too hard to think that this dead thing can be resurrected and what that might demand of me in the midst of it. And so I'm just going to move on. But most of the time as I process the issue with couples, what we find is that marriage was never supposed to be the thing that was going to completely satisfy you. And before Jesus resurrects your marriage into something better and more true, he needs those unrealistic expectations or that critical spirit or the way you've made your spouse an idol in your life to die. It needs to die. And so I want to put this question up here for you. You can take a screenshot of it if you want, All right? Screenshot of a screenshot? Oh, that's not even a screenshot. You can take a picture of it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Here's the question, the most important thing. What needs to die before Jesus will resurrect something in your life? What needs to die Is it the fact that you've kind of made something an idol that shouldn't be? You've you've kind of put it above your love and your affection and your passion for God? Is it that you've thought that this thing was going to satisfy you or this person was going to satisfy you or it was going to provide something for you that it just hasn't? I think that's a really good question for us to wrestle with. Because we all want resurrection, man. We want broken things to be made right, but often we don't want to die to whatever it is God's asking us to die to, and there can't be resurrection without death. It's just how it works. Okay, you can take that down. In verse 26, after Jesus said, I am the resurrection, he asked Martha this really critical question. He said, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Not just in theory, not just in your head, but in practice too. Because when I talk to Christians, and if I were to ask most of you here this morning, Do you believe that in Christ all things are possible? Most of you here would say, yeah, right? Up here, I, it, the Bible says that all things are possible, so I guess as a Christian, I'm supposed to believe that, right? But then if I were to ask you specifically about a particular area in your life, and I were to say, well, do you believe that it's possible for God to resurrect that dead thing in your life? All of a sudden, that's where your face starts to get fuzzy, right? Right? You're like, well, wait a minute. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. If we believe that Jesus is the resurrection, then shouldn't we have the faith to believe that he can heal whatever wound we've encountered in life? Shouldn't we have the faith to believe that he can give us whatever courage or humility that we might need to forgive that person? who's harmed us, or to restore our marriage, or, or to bring our, our faith back to life when it's been fractured or splintered in some way? Do you believe this? He's asking every one of us here this morning that question, because Easter isn't just a holiday. A day to go to church to find eggs or or the genesis of this new commitment in you to be a good person for a while. Easter screams out, All things are possible. I am the resurrection. I want to bring dead things out of the grave and back to life in your life. Do you believe this? And my guess is that many of you are like the guy in the Bible who had this encounter with Jesus. When Jesus asked him that question, he said to him just very honestly, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Because it's, it's hard to trust when we've been disappointed so many times, isn't it? But maybe what we've been disappointed in in life isn't so much God as it is the fact that life just really hasn't turned out the way we thought it should for us. That maybe we kind of thought that life owed us a little bit more than what we've gotten. But here's a very important truth that I really need you guys to, to listen to and then to ponder when you go away from here. So if you haven't been paying attention, hone in now, okay? We're on the exit ramp. Here's the question, here's the thought. More than we want that seemingly dead circumstance in our life to be resurrected and to change, do we want to know Jesus? Because that's the prize. Because if our greatest desire is to know Christ in in a real and intimate way, we'd be surprised through that relationship with him how he might reshape our perspective on the current circumstances in our life that we feel like are dead and buried. Because when you have an interaction, an encounter with the God who says, I am the resurrection, quite possibly, all of a sudden, those things that you kind of thought were dead, that were insurmountable obstacles in your life, in the light of his power and his love and his grace and maybe a new understanding of that for you, maybe don't seem so far gone after all. Paul put it like this, Philippians 3.8. He said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ." If all you're really interested in is your circumstances changing, you are going to be disappointed a lot. Because Jesus promised us in this world there will be trouble. We live in a broken, fallen world. But the one thing that he said is that you can know me in the midst of that. And in knowing me, I can reshape your mind and your heart and your perspective so that you can see your circumstances in a different way. And so that you can know that the things that are going on here in this temporary world we live in were never meant to satisfy you anyways. You can only be satisfied in me. And we're all here today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus but more so we're worshiping a savior who says, I am the resurrection. And Jesus is asking each one of us, do you believe this? Not just in theory, but how does your belief in that affect the way that you act and think and live and speak? What do those things reveal about what you truly believe about God's power to bring dead things back to life for you? Do you have the hope that all things are possible in Christ? Because here's what I know to be true. If we move towards him, he will lead us to places of resurrection. Because that's who he is, and it's what he does. But I also know this, is that he might ask you, to let something die first. He may ask you to reframe your hopes or perspectives or desires, but it will always be so that whatever it is that he resurrects in your life will be a better version of what it is that you thought you wanted. And we have to trust him in that. So do you know that Jesus? The Jesus that resurrects? Has he resurrected a dead thing in your life already? If he has, then you have a story that you should be telling, that you should be sharing with people in your life so that they have some hope and some perspective on their circumstances. But maybe the biggest question for some of you here this morning is, has your life been resurrected? Have you come to a point in your life where you have realized, you know what? I'm not good enough. And all my best efforts to try to figure life out just haven't panned out. I I can't do it. And I need help. (laughs) I need a savior with the power to raise himself from the dead to come in and resurrect my dead and broken life. And if you're not sure about the answer to that question. (laughs) My hope for you is you don't leave here this morning without coming to talk to me or somebody else you think you might know who knows the answer to how that works. But also for a lot of us in here who have had our life resurrected by Christ at some point, maybe somewhere along the way we've kind of lost sight of who Jesus is, And we've forgotten that He is the resurrection, and that we need to ask ourselves that question again Do I believe that? Is the way that I'm going about my life, the way that I think and act and speak, does it reveal to myself and everyone around me that I believe in a God who has the power to resurrect things? And if I don't, then what needs to change to get back in touch with that reality? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you so much for this story of Lazarus. But God, really, it's just a symbol for all of us. We all could put a lot of different things in that tomb. It might be a relationship. It might be a marriage. It might be our health, our finance, whatever it is. And maybe, God, you've had to allow that thing to die and be in the grave for a little while so that when you resurrect it, God, we're ready to receive it in a way that's, that's gonna lead to real change. And so, Lord, I thank you that we serve a God who has the power to resurrect and whose very nature and whose very desire is to heal and restore broken things in our life. But God, more than that, you want us to know you. Because that's one thing, a relationship with you, that will be constant throughout life. Because sometimes the circumstances in this world just stink. And we've got it better than most here in America. But knowing you And being in touch with your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, that's something that the enemy in this world can never take from us. So God, I pray that that would be the prize. That would be the greatest desire in our life is to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close and worship this morning?